0: where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's look at this passage, uh, going back to the beginning, verse 1. Jesus says, he starts by saying, don't be troubled. The men are troubled because Jesus is beginning to talk to them about leaving them. Imagine that. These disciples, they have left everything they've known to follow Jesus, and now Jesus is about to leave them? The disciples are troubled, and in a few hours, they're going to be even more disturbed as Jesus is about to be arrested and sent to be crucified. But Jesus says, don't be troubled. Instead, believe. He says, believe in God. And commentaries say different things on on what Jesus meant by this. Was he commanding them to believe in God? And commanding them to believe in himself? I think Jesus was saying it more as an indicative rather than an imperative. Saying as if to say, you believe in God, so now you have to believe in me. Believe in me because I am connected to God, my Father. Jesus, he always points the way to God, his Father. But this time, he also says, believe in me as well, because I can vouch for my Father. I know what my Father's place looks like. I know my Father's house has many rooms, and his table has lots of food. His yard is big enough for football. Anybody remember audio adrenaline, big house? I don't know if that's all theologically correct, but I, I, I believe in audio adrenaline, Okay. If you, if you haven't heard that song, you go back to their album, Underdog. It's a classic, classic Christian album. But it then says, Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus says, the reason that I'm leaving is to go and prepare for you so that where I am, you can be there as well. And then Jesus casually says, and you know where I'm going. And at this point, I wonder if the disciples, if they're just completely lost, but no one's willing to speak up. You know when someone's talking to you you about something, and you're just like, I'm so lost, but I don't even know where to start, so I'm just going to keep it to myself. But Thomas is bold enough, and he speaks up. He says, actually, Jesus, I have no idea how to get to where you're going. We, We have no idea where you're going. How can we know the way? Then Jesus responds with one of his most iconic lines. He says, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one, no one can come to the Father except through me. We know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. These next three weeks, we're going to look at Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. This morning's message is simply entitled The Way. Jesus is the way. This is the way, as you might have heard in The Mandalorian, right? This is the way. The way. Don't you love trying to find your way when you're trying to get somewhere? Uh, Anyone else directionally challenged like me? Yeah, yeah. So, So Shanna, she is more directionally gifted than I am. And uh, we were just down in Florida. I don't know if I need to tell you that because you can see how tan I am now. But we were just down in Florida for the week. And uh, that's, that's where Shanna is still there. We went to hang out with her parents for a little bit. I made sure they're, they're still coming back. They're not upset at the church or anything. I know they left right after the announcement, but they love us. They're just, they spend time in Florida for a few weeks during this part of the year. But anyways, um, so Shanna is more directionally gifted than I am. And, we'll, and she knows the area in Florida anyways better than I do. And so we'd be walking around, and I'd start walking in the wrong direction. And she'd say, Matt, where are you going? I'm like, uh, wherever you tell me to, because I don't really know where I'm going. I'm just trying to, trying to walk wherever. I'm just guessing here. I don't actually know the way. I know that I want to go to the same destination as you. We both want to get ice cream, but I don't know where I'm going. Where, how, what is the way? I'm so directionally challenged that for my graduation gift, graduating high school, I was given a garment. Some of you know what a garment is back before we, phones were able to navigate, but they knew, especially when we were just moving to a new city in Columbus, I needed to know where I was going. Now, while Shanna is more directionally gifted than me, she is not always more communicatively gifted than me. So sometimes when we're driving, sometimes it can, it can get exciting because I, I don't know where I'm going and Shanna doesn't know how to communicate where to go. It's fun. Marriage is fun. It's a fun time. And so Shanna does this thing, and listen, I know Shanna's not here to defend herself, but I promise, listen, I promise she heard this message before you did, okay? So she knows what I'm saying. But, but, to, but um, she, she would always, instead of saying, turn left up here, Matt, or turn right, like, like navigation would tell you, she says, Matt, turn this way, and she would point. And I would say, I don't know if you can tell, but right now I'm driving, and I need to see the road more than your finger, so I need you to tell me. You get where our arguments, how they kind of go a little bit, Yeah talk about, I, I need you to help me find my way. What is the way? Jesus. Jesus is the way. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7 this morning. That's where we're going to be for the rest of our time this morning. Matthew chapter 7. This is where Jesus illustrates as the way. Matthew 7 is the last chapter of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's been teaching this large crowd of people many things. He talks about the, the Beatitudes and loving your enemy and the Lord's Prayer and fasting and He tells them, don't be anxious, don't judge people. And here's how he ends the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take this little by little. You can start with Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. 13 and 14, it says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Our first point this morning Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. It starts by saying, enter by the narrow gate. And then he contrasts that with the wide gate and the easy way, which leads to destruction. Now, I grew up as a kid in church, so I have kind of preconceived ideas. I have this like imagery that automatically comes into my mind when I think of narrow gate. I think of this, like, little door. They have to kind of squeeze through to get to the path of righteousness, and then the road is difficult, and it, it's hard, and it's narrow compared to the easy path. Kind of reminds me, I don't, I don't know if any of you read Pilgrim's Progress growing up. You've ever uh, read that book, or maybe you watched the, v, there was a VHS tape of it as well, but it's the kind of imagery that I think of when I think of this narrow gate, this, this hard road. And don't get me wrong, being a follower of Jesus, it can be really hard, right? It's, it's a challenge to fight between what your spirit wants to do and what your flesh wants to do. There's a lot of easier ways to live your life than following Jesus, but I promise you that the harder way is way more fulfilling. It's a more life-giving way. But the gate is narrow not to depict its difficulty. I think always growing up, I thought it was a narrow gate just to show you how hard it is to live life as a Christian, but that's not true. It's narrow because there's only one way. Jesus is the only way. That's why it's narrow. The biggest differentiation between religions is Jesus. Back when I was in um, high school, I was taking an early civilization class. And, uh, and I got to talking, the, the class was talking about the differences of Judaism and Christianity and Islam. And they showed the similarities between the different religions because there, there are a lot of similarities. All of them kind of stem from the Bible and talk about Abraham and they talk about Jesus. And one student made a comment. He said, wow, all these religions are more similar than I thought. And I got to say, I don't know what came over me, but... At that moment, I was a really bold teenager. I didn't usually like, speak up in those situations, but I raised my hand, and when I was called, and I might have sounded a little bratty, like a, like a know-it-all G- junior Bible quizzer, you know, but I said, yeah, but the main difference is that Christianity believes Jesus is the Son of God, while all other religions view him as only a good teacher or a prophet, And I I wish I could go back and see what I looked like as a kid and how poorly or how well I communicated that truth, but I stand by the essence of what I said. Because Jesus is the only way. He was not just a good teacher or a good person. He was not just a good prophet or a good leader. Most importantly than any of that, Jesus is the only way to God the Father. We We cannot have eternal life apart from Jesus. There's a lot of different ways to destruction. Matthew says the gate is wide and it's easy because any other gate apart from God, apart from Jesus, will lead us to an eternity apart from God. Choose your gate carefully. That's why the Bible says that Jesus is the door. It says he's the gate, he is the entrance. And Matthew instructs us to enter the narrow gate because the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. We would all prefer the easy way, right? The easy way doesn't usually mean the correct way. The easy way, we could, we could seek the approval of man instead of God. The easy way, going, going along with the rest of the crowd at work and maybe ridiculing a, a, an employee that's not doing well, that's struggling. It's a lot easier to, to go along with the crowd and the peer pressure than actually to stick up for somebody than risk ridicule yourself. It's a lot easier to Decide how you want to spend all your time and how you want to spend all your money instead of noticing that God might have a plan for you to use your time and money for his plans. Jesus' way can be uncomfortable. Jesus' way is sacrificial, but it is the only way to eternal life. And last week, my dad, he talked about being tested, right? He said following Jesus includes tests and difficulties. It's like, I don't want tests. You know, I don't want challenges. Why does life have to be difficult? Difficulties and challenges, they're, they're a part of life, and we know that nothing good comes easy. Anything worth fighting for, it's, it's worth that time, it's worth that investment. It says, the way is easy that leads to destruction. Many people enter by it because it's easier, it's not hard, not, not hard to follow, but narrow is the gate. And hard is the way, but it leads to life. Jesus is the only way. Are you with me? As the train comes, are you with me? Okay. After Jesus talks about the narrow gates and, and way to life, let's read what happens next, verses 15 through 20. Matthew seven fifteen through 20. It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits, So once Jesus warns us that there is a path that leads to death, he also warns us that there's people out there that will guide you along the wrong path. He's saying keep keep your guard up. Be aware that there are people out there that do not have your best interest at heart. So how can you distinguish who they are? You can discern by the fruit of a person. Number two this morning, Jesus is the fruitful way. He's the fruitful way. When you're following Jesus, you will recognize good fruit from bad fruit. You will recognize how people you hang around with, how they act, and how they treat other people. This is talking about pastors and prophets, but it's also referring to anyone that claims to follow Jesus. What is the fruit of your life? Because if you claim to follow Jesus, but then you live exactly like everyone else, there's, there's no change in your life. There's no change in the fruit of your life after your decision to follow the way. You know, if you still get road rage every time that someone cuts you out and you, you want to cuss them out, what's the difference between you and someone that doesn't know Jesus? If you give a cheap, uh, a cheap tip to a waiter or a waitress who's provided you quality service, what's the difference? If you treat an assistant or a secretary, someone at work that's lower than you, if you treat them poorly, what's the difference? right? Knowing Jesus should lead us to a fruitful life. A life that is full of the love for people and a life full of joy in our hearts and a life full of peace in our minds. We need to have peace because the world is an anxious place. If our thoughts and words are still fe- filled with fear, when the Bible says He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind, what's the difference? Jesus is the fruitful way, and those that abide in Him will have fruitful lives. Maybe I'm a little bit a little odd, but I like to read books about, about businesses and, and leadership and how companies they succeed or how they strategize, And I read a book recently on what attribute or what attributes that a company should look for in an employee. Anybody familiar with Patrick Lencioni books? I was hoping for one or two. One or two. Yes, great. One or two people. I was like, there's not going to be many, but one or two would be great. He's got a few books out there like Death by Meetings and and, um, The Advantage. And a book I read recently was called The Ideal Team Player. The Ideal Team Player And most of his books are essentially, they're fables, okay? They're stories, and then at the end, he he gives you one or two chapters of explanation. Even if you hate reading, I promise you could make it through one of these books. They're they're not longer or or difficult. But he talks about, the story in this book is there's a, they're looking to hire a new employee that would take over a big part of this, this company, and they found that the three attributes needed, three attributes that they were looking for, was somebody that was hungry, Humble and smart. Hungry, humble, and smart. By hungry, I don't mean your appetite. You're like, yeah, I could eat. That's, that's not a problem. Um, talking about you, you have a drive, you have a determination. Humble and then smart. Not talking about your intelligence, but your people smart. You understand how to work well with people. And I thought, wow, that sounds like good traits for a follower of Jesus, really. That's good fruit of if someone. I mean, humility is a given, right? The Bible says God gives grace to the humble. The Bible talks about hungry. If you're motivated to work, Colossians says, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord. And then the last one, people smart. We, we know we're supposed to be kind to one another, right? That's, that's part of loving one another, forgiving one another. And Patrick talks about this one candidate that they found in the book, that they thought he, he checked all the boxes, but then they began to call previous workplaces, and not talk to the bosses about his work, but talk to the low-level employees there, the assistants. And after doing some digging, they found out, oh, he didn't really treat them well. If they were below him, he didn't have any time for them, and therefore, they didn't end up hiring him. And you have to be careful. You have to have all three of these traits, because if you're humble, but you're not hungry or smart, you're just kind of a pawn You're just being manipulated by by someone else. If you're hungry, but you're not humble and smart, you're just a bulldozer. Have you ever worked with someone that's a bulldozer? They'll get things done, but nobody wants to work with them. If If you're kind and smart, but you're not hungry or humble, you're just kind of a charmer. You're just this lovable guy out in the corner that we love him, but he doesn't really pull his weight, doesn't really do anything. He's a sweet guy, but you have to be all three. What is the fruit of your life? Because if we're walking with Jesus, we should be men and women that are fruitful in our lives. Jesus is the fruitful way. If you're following Jesus, you will have a fruitful life. And and then Jesus ends that story. He says, if you don't follow Jesus, you won't have good fruit and you're going to be cut out. Right? He says, you'll be cut out and thrown in the fire. And then what does it say next about, about not bearing fruit? If you don't bear fruit. If you don't follow the way, it says this in verses 21 through 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Your fruit is determined by your relationship with Jesus. Remember, last week my dad said, you can can believe there is a God. Congratulations, the demons believe there is a God. That doesn't mean that you have a relationship with Jesus. That's this group right here he's talking about. You can even do things for God, right? But not know God and not have a relationship with God. Does anybody else struggle with that? That's a scary thought. You can be a disciple that calls on the Lord, but not know God. You can do great things for God and not have a relationship. I encourage you, live life with God, not just for God. Live life with God. It's like this phrase that we use We use it a lot. We don't even think a lot about it. I use it, okay? So don't point out to me if I say it again. It's just a habit. But we say this thing. We say this thing a lot. We say, God, I want to be used by you. And I think we mean well when we say that, right? That comes from a a pure desire to honor God. But I want to make sure you know that God does not desire to use you. That's not God. He he loves you. He desires to love you. He desires to partner with you, to mentor you, to teach you. He doesn't desire to use you. Using somebody, that's never used in a good connotation, right? When we think of users, we think of really two things, sadly. We think of social media or drugs. Think about that for a second. But God doesn't desire to use you. He desires to befriend you, to walk with you, to guide you through life. Amen? Amen. He wants to, I believe there's someone here today. Someone needs to know that God does not desire to use you or manipulate you. He wants to grow with you, he, he wants relationship with you more than anything else. And your actions and your decisions should flow out of the relationship with God. Are you with me? Let's read this last portion of the Sermon on the Mount, verses 24 through 27. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. If you recall, my dad, he, he talked a little bit about this passage last week. I thought he made a great point that whether you were wise and build your house on the rock, or you were foolish and built it on the sand. Either way, the storm comes in your life. The storms come regardless. Storms and tests come to all people. And I saw one commentary, I don't know if this is true or not, but I thought it was an interesting point. It talked about how the rain fell. You know, rain comes from, from heaven, right? It comes from up above. The floods came. Flood comes from, from earth. It comes to you as if maybe to say, tests come from both God. And from man through your life. You know, we know that God tests us sometimes. That's the main point of what my dad was saying last week. But regardless if there's a storm from God or a storm from man, if you're built on his foundation, you will stay strong. The last point this morning, number three, Jesus is the durable way. He's the durable way. Following Jesus keeps us durable. Building our life on his way allows us to handle the storms of life. I said it earlier, but through pandemics and politics and wars and rumors of war and sickness through life, Jesus is the only healthy way to live life through stress and anxiety and fear. He is the only healthy way to overcome that. You know, we, we wonder why we're in a world that's full of addictions. Struggles like alcohol and pornography and drugs, we addict ourselves to anything that will numb the pain. But we don't realize that addiction, that we're, we've got a wound on our hearts and we're trying to slap a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound, that addiction you try to stop the wound and stop the hurting with, it's filled with bacteria. That's not going to make things better. It's actually going to make things worse in your life. It's just as harmful. Addictions will leave you wanting more. Never satisfied. Only Jesus can truly satisfy. He is the only one that can bring long-lasting peace and sustain you. What foundations are you building your house on? He alone can sustain you. If you build your house on sand... The things of this world, you will crumble at the first sign of trouble. You know, if you build your house on, on your finances, the first sign of trouble, the, the first big bill you get in the mail, and your house will crumble. You, you build your house on your image, what others think about you, and the first sign of a, a picture on Instagram that only got five likes, and your house crumbles. You build your house on that feeling, that addiction, that feeling of euphoria. But when that feeling wears off, it'll crumble. Your house will crumble. Or you need more of it and more of it. That dopamine hit more than before, but eventually it'll crumble. Jesus is the only way. He's the only way to resist temptation. He's the only way, he's the only person that can deliver you from the vices that attempt to satisfy you. And in your weakest moment, you can call out to the name that can save you. You can read the word of God, the only book that can bring you life. You can pray and talk. You have access to the only one whose relationship can sustain you. What are you building your house on? A few weeks ago, Shanna, she was dealing with something in the hospital. And my brother was dealing with something, and and Emma's been going through stuff, and I don't even know. You were probably dealing with something. I don't even know about it. Everybody's dealing with stuff. And as I was sitting there struggling, I was like, my goodness, if I didn't trust God that he was holding me right now, and if I didn't have him to rely on, I don't know what I would do. I don't know how people that don't have a relationship with God can handle it, because I have to have Jesus to get me through the hard times. He is the rock that we have to build our life on. He is the durable way. Worship team, you can join me so we get ready to close. And you might be wondering, Matt, why, why are we talking about a house of sand and, and fruit and workers of lawlessness? Think back to the beginning of this passage. The per- first part in verse 13 says, enter by the narrow gate. It starts with two entrances then two paths then two different disciples two different prophets two different types of fruit two different foundations all because of a specific entrance the entrance that you choose the way that you choose will lead you to good fruit or bad fruit it'll lead you along the path of a good disciple of Christ or disciple of the way of the world. It'll lead you to building your house on rock instead of house of sand. The way that you choose will determine the person that you become. It will determine the fruit of your life. It will determine the foundation you live your life on. Jesus is the only way. He is the fruitful way. He is the durable way. Jesus is the entrance. He is the gate. He is the path. He is the direction for your life. We're going to close with this last scripture verse in Acts 4.12. Read down on the screen, Acts 4.12. It says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No man can save you but Jesus. No vice can save you but Jesus. Jesus is